and welcome back to the One Two Kentucky Blue Podcast. I am your host, Coach John Spurlock. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have another great episode for you. On the show today, Ryan DeVrent, Stephen Wood, Brendan McDonald, and Emily Guyman. Today, we talk through the purpose of why we focused on speed and agility during the months of February and March as a staff. Then we dive into our thoughts on how we program speed and agility movements and drills for our student athletes. We hope you enjoy this episode. I'm excited to have this conversation because, you know, what we did in January with the jumping and plyometrics spilling over into February and even getting into March where we did the speed and agility program, I really enjoyed it, mainly because it filled a gap ever since uh, the pandemic hit where in the past we would all work out together. We don't do that now because of the restrictions we have and, you know, it's just made our schedules crazy, but we're able to have that shared experience, build camaraderie amongst our staff members, which we know is super important. I also really enjoyed the conversations that we had during staff meeting as it pertained to the specific speed and agility program we were doing drills that were in there, um, other drills that we've done with uh, our teams and our student athletes. And, you know, going back to the purpose of us doing the speed and agility program, it also allowed our young strength coaches the opportunity to engage with us in conversations about our programs and how we improve change of direction, ability, quickness, linear acceleration, and, and all those other things. And then I think last but not least, as we look at the purpose, and specifically for me, who has been doing this forever, I was never been uh, proficient at setting up and using timing gates. So us going through our testing protocol, using the timing gates, having that explained to me multiple times, I feel like I'm competent in that area. Um, and those that are listening, just so you know, we did a four weeks advanced speed and agility program that was created by Coach D and Coach BMAC. We did three tests. So we did a sprint test, which was on a basketball court, three quarter lengths of the court. We went baseline to the opposite free throw line. We did, I believe we did three attempts, correct? Yep. And then we also did for agility, we did the pro agility 5-10-5 test. We did two attempts each side. And then the last test we did was the three cone L drill agility test that is done in the NFL combine. And we did it to the T the way the NFL, NFL combine administers that. And the L drill test was actually the only one that we did with a stopwatch. The other two tests we did with timing gates. Specifically about the program we did, like I said, Coach D and BMAC wrote it up for length four weeks in duration, and it was two days a week. We had an emphasis on linear speed on one day, and the other day was more change of direction and lateral movement. We did our initial test on February 8th, and then we did our, um, our, our follow-up testing in the middle of March, and I think it was March 15th if I got my dates correct. But starting off with our takeaways from the four-week program that we did and even diving into the conversations that we had as a staff. And I think that was my biggest takeaway is that I really enjoyed the conversations that we would have during staff meeting. 
maybe we were talking about a drill that was in our program. Maybe it was a variation of the drill and why D does it this way, why I do it this way, and how you can have a different, uh, a different emphasis on the same drill and you can elicit a, a very specific adaptation or motor pattern using the same drill. But I'll toss it off to D next. D, what was your biggest takeaway from our from our uh, speed and agility theme for February and early March? I think uh, for me, the biggest takeaway was like the teaching aspect uh, with our coaching assistants and our and our interns, uh, our GAs, even full time, is the lack of experience. Just I think all the way around. Like you may feel like you're really good at programming and and coaching it, but like actually doing it and being very proficient in your movements um, is a skill. And the biggest takeaway when you're looking at it is like, well, as a staff, did we train like this for the entire year? No, we, we literally went from zero to something. And it wasn't like a basic progression, like we would do it with our student athletes. It was an advanced progression. And it was good to just learn from that. It's like, well, as coaches, you know that, you know, starting out basic is very, very important. You're just not going to throw your student athletes in there. And then all of a sudden injuries develop over time. So for me, the biggest takeaway was just um, when we would have, you know, those sessions where we did have staff members at, you know, a, a linear day or, or a lateral day is getting each other around each other, filming each other and, and giving some feedback, um, I think opened up a lot of eyes on like, oh, I'm not very good in this area. Uh, which is a skill to have in speed and agility. And I thought uh, specifically one day that I came over to the south side of campus and we were running on the turf and you were out there coaching everybody up. It's, I always feel like we're always very comfortable in the weight room and we can feel if we're, you know, rocking forward onto the balls of our feet during a heavy back squat and we can feel that. But a lot of the times we're not as comfortable with the speed and agility aspect of training and we need somebody there to coach us up to tell us what they're seeing so we can become more efficient in those movements. BMAC, what were your takeaways? Yeah, I guess uh, just kind of made me realize the importance of slow cooking our student athletes like we do. We, most of our full-time staff has gone through, we've all gone through our, our basic progressions that we take our teams through a lot, but a lot of our younger coaching assistants that just came on campus with us in August have not taken the time to go through that. So with them, we saw a lot more um, kind of leaks in their movement that I think would have been cleaned up a lot more had they gone through those basic movements. Um, but like Dee said, that wasn't the point of this. We wanted to, to get into things that we don't usually know and do and see and try out and, and play around with some stuff. I think my biggest takeaway was um, we only had four weeks to do a pre and post test. So we kept it very specific with the program, especially for the change direction day. Like it was very specific. It was um, practicing your 5105 is practicing your L drill, things that a lot of us don't personally physically do every day. And so when we kept the program as specific as we did, which is really just doing, you know, chunks of that drill or the whole drill at, a, at not 100% speed. We got a lot out of it because we kept it specific, but that's something you have to do when you don't have that much time. I agree. And I think people on our staff that showed some huge improvements. Jones got so much better at changing, changing direction. Same thing with Fang. But you could tell when we did our pretest that they were awful at it. They were so bad. But just him practicing those tests and getting comfortable changing direction, they improved so much. Uh, Wood and Guymond, do you got anything to add to your takeaways? 
Yeah, I think for me, like one of the biggest things was it had been a while for me personally since I had completed like, you know, a program where like it's not just the weight room. It's also like consistently having the speed and agility, right? Similar to what our athletes go through. I think as a coach, we've all done those in pockets at some sort, but putting it all together and kind of feeling like the, hey, this is like the total stress, right? Hey, like, you know, they may be coming from a hard practice the day before or, you know, just a, a workout outside of the weight room and understanding, hey, how that high speed sprinting affects the body. So, hey, when I come in the next day, um, you know, what to expect them from the weight room or, or what, what that, what I, what I'm feeling going into that session, right? For me, I always, I haven't done them together in a while. So putting both the programs of lifting, um, and of the, like the speed and agility together, um, kind of just helped me kind of remember what kind of stress we put our athletes in and, and what they expect or what they feel coming out of those. Oh, one, and talking about stress and D and BMAC put together our testing protocol, uh, how many reps we were going to do on each one of the tests that we did. And I remember looking at it and being like, no, nah, guys, you're wrong. Not too, it's too few reps. We need to do more attempts at these tests. And then when we did the pre-test, it was right after we got done with our jumping test as well. And I was just smoked. And I just remember sitting there being like, why the heck did I say I wanted to do this many attempts on these speed and agility assessments? bad call on my part. Guyman, you got any takeaways or do you just want to talk about your recent Olympic weightlifting uh, competition? No, I have some takeaways. Um, kind of going off what Dee said, when we all coached each other, I not just me getting, you know, feedback on my form, but hearing the particular, like what people saw in different movements, like what was the main things we were looking for and then what cues people chose to use to fix those movements was really helpful especially for me not having um, to work with teams that really use speed and agility on a regular basis so being able to be around a lot of that coaching and be able to practice it was really helpful for me awesome and what did you hit this weekend what was your snatch my snatch was 62 kilos and my clean and jerk was 80. 80 was are you happy with those numbers I'm very happy with those. What's numbers. your what's your best? Because that was a PR for clean and jerk. Is that right? Yeah, and my best snatch is 63. So okay, you're just, just off of it. Yeah. <laughs> what did you? What were your? How many out of six? What did you go? I went four for six. Four for six. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Pretty good. But enough about you, Guyman. Let's keep on with this conversation. So I, next thing I want to talk about, and I think this will help. You know, everybody that's on the episode right now, our current coaching assistants, our current young strength coaches, and then everybody else out there that is listening. And I'll start with D because uh, I think what D and BMAC do, the way they think about programming for speed and agility is very similar. Um, and then eventually we'll get to Wood about his thoughts on how the weight room helps his sprinters, his hurdlers in terms of linear speed. But do you kind of break down your thoughts with how you program speed and agility for your teams and whether you want to be specific to softball or general, just just go ahead and start the conversation. Uh, for me, it's starting very basic. Uh, I, I like to separate my teams, you know, as everybody I think should is having your freshman group and then your upperclassmen group. Uh, when you come from, you know, with where I'm training softball kind of year round in the summer is kind of where it starts. You have your girls that are here for the summer 
and then you don't have you have your girls that are at home and then when it comes to august all of a sudden you have the girls that were here for the summer the girls that were at home and then your incoming freshmen so i'm really running three different programs just because i don't want to set the one group back and when i'm going through speed and agility um you know we're going to do a lot of activation uh glute activation work um pre-activation just going through you know speed ladders stuff like that to get the body going uh, and then going through a very basic progression um, with learning uh, plyometrics and landing properly to uh, and then getting into our speed stuff where we're going to have a linear day and we're going to have a lateral day. And my biggest focus being uh, we're going to focus a ton on your arm action and leg action. Um, and I think that, you know, the way that I coach is if somebody looked through my, you know, 12 to 16 weeks of programming, they'd say, well, there's not very much in here. Uh, but at the end of the day, like it's all about doing the basics very, very well. Um, if you don't teach it properly on the front end, nobody's going to improve off of it. So when you look at my coaching philosophy, I, you know, the student athletes probably look at me and they say this person or coach D says this cue coaching cue, uh, about 500 times a week. Uh, and, and some of my student athletes still talk about that. Uh, but that's the way it needs to be is that it's ingrained into their brain and they even think about it when they're competing as well is like, man, I felt really explosive there. Yes. Like, you know, your arm action leg action was really good. So not to get really into a lot of the details. Uh, I just think that it's, it's staying basic and being very proficient in your coaching. Let me ask you this. So in the summer you have, uh, let's say somewhere between like eight to 12 softball players that stay on campus and train with us. I've seen you take those student athletes to the workouts. And just like you're talking about, you start with the basics, you emphasize positioning and um, everything you said is, uh, I, I love seeing, but the student athletes that are at home, are they going through something similar on their own or do you change up their programming? Do you change up the speed and agility programming for the athletes that are at home compared to those that are on campus no it, it stays the same but you know as we all know we, we we're not there to watch our student athletes do yeah. it uh so i look at it as like when they get there in august it's like i'm hoping they did it but i'm not taking the chance that they did it so it's like hey we may start you two weeks behind everybody else but i will catch you up by week three week four uh and i think that's what every coach needs to think about is like have it in the back of your brain as if they didn't do anything when they come back on campus. Uh, kind of going, and I'm interested because I, I don't know what your answer is going to be. So you have a lateral emphasis day, you have a linear emphasis day in terms of, because you're going to do some sort of conditioning as well. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like, what's your thought process with, so let's start with your linear day. So if you have linear speed day, what conditioning would you throw in there on that day as opposed to the lateral emphasis day? Uh, so mainly it's going to be like my five yard, 10 yard, 15, 20 yard starts. I don't really like going any further than that. Like if you ask my girls, like, you know, I'm usually not over 30 yards um, with it. Mainly I'm just trying to work on acceleration because uh, we're not really getting to any top speed at all. Um, that's all in my linear days on my lateral days. It's a ton of change direction with a ton of agility work. So, um, where we're doing like a four cone drill, 
um, a three cone drill, a lot of reaction stuff, working on, you know, having that low center of gravity, you know, and, and really working off of pushing in the outside foot. Um, but, and again, that's very basic as well is because you're te teaching proper mechanics on both of those days. You know, you're looking at posture, you're looking at arm action, you're looking at leg action. Um, are you pushing off the outside foot? Do you have a low center of gravity? Uh, those are the things that people really need to think about when they're programming and coaching instead of getting, you know, complex with it. BMAC, going to you, you have both soccers, women and men's soccer. Big part of that sport is conditioning, but you still need to make sure that, you know, they're changing direction properly. Their mechanics are sound. So when they are sprinting, um, they're moving efficiently. But talk through how you break it down in your mind with your speed and agility programming. So I learned my speed and agility from watching and helping with D's team. Um, so I have a very similar format to him. I do the linear and lateral day. And then the biggest thing I took away from learning under D was positioning and emphasizing the positioning. With soccer, I step it back even slower than like what I've seen him do with softball, just because we are so injury prone for both those groups. And a lot of times like they need a lot of repetition. They need a lot of time feeling those positions um, before they start to have it transfer. So we're doing a lot of single leg jumping and landing and loading where I'm teaching them how to use their hips. I'm teaching them how to decelerate just all of our, our progressions that we have on our website, but we spend a ton of time on it. Um, and then even then, as we start to speed it up, I spend, I don't sprint them for the first couple of weeks, just we have a lot of hamstring issues that we've dealt with in the past. So I slow cook them into that. Um, and then I make sure too, like we're going through a lot of the drills or a lot of progressions we have not at hundred percent speed right away. Cause I want to make sure um, any position I'm putting them in, we've done, you know, at 75% speed, 85% before we go to hundred um, and getting them to feel what I'm looking for. Conditioning is a larger part of the sessions that I have with them. So it might be the first, you know, like 15 or 20 minutes that speed agility. And then the last 40 is um, conditioning, but just like D, I usually pair it up. So I usually have my longer straight ahead runs on my linear day, and then more of the change of direction runs that I have on the change on um, the change direction day, the lateral day. Um, but I just like that because I'm still able to coach what we just worked on. So I'm not spending as much time on speed and agility, but then throughout their runs, it's still like, Hey, we're still thinking arm action, leg action, as we're going to change direction. I'm still like, Hey, you're spending so much energy on these turns. So I've seen a lot of good transfer with that. I like it. You know, one thing that I've played around with, uh, with basketball and volleyball is I like it exactly what you just said. You're working on change of direction mechanics during the first part of the workout. So the conditioning matches up. You're doing change of direction as well. So you can emphasize everything you just went over. But I have found, especially when we start doing reaction drills and agility drills at full speed, their legs get so cashed out during those drills that it's I have thrown in linear conditioning days on those change of direction days just so they're not as cashed out um, from everything we had just did uh, you know 20 to 30 minutes prior not saying one way's right or the other but that has been something that I've played around with that's one thing I looked at when we came back from COVID too. Um, so when they came back in August and I had a solid four weeks before they started soccer activity, I counted up how many change directions we had and made sure that that ramped up because um, that is a big part and overuse can pop up like that. So I definitely hear what you're saying on that. So Wood does not do a lot of speed and agility work with uh, sprinters and hurdlers and jumpers, but everything that he does in the weight room has a strong correlation with how you know, fast they get out of the blocks, uh, how well they accelerate, top and speed, all that jazz. 
Wood, why don't you talk through how you feel uh, what you do helps out your track athletes and the conversations that you might have had with uh, the track coaches? Absolutely. So, you know, when we're thinking of the weight room for track and field, we don't have a lot of the same, like maybe KPIs or things that come up in our sport, right? Because we're moving linearly, right? So we're not, you know, we're very, very, we can very focus in on like what we're training. And the thing that we really focus on or where we kind of, I kind of like to start is with force production, right? Um, you know, when we're sprinting, we're, we're receiving and producing high amounts of force from the ground. Um, so when I think about force, I think about like being able to like load the body um, as like injury prevention, right? So like how our body absorbs and receives forces, right? So in the, in the start and kind of really all the way through our programming, we're doing some sort of, we're doing, you know, eccentric work, um, you know, we're loading um, and absorbing forces. We're doing things where we overload plyos, where maybe our ground contact, um, we're just focusing on, you know, hitting the ground in a good position, right? And then, you know, going back to that, are we being efficient in our contact with the ground, right? We spend a lot of time focusing on, you know, how we hit the ground. Are we landing with a flat foot in the midfoot where we can transmit a lot of that force through our skeleton, our skeleton? Um, or are we, you know, up in our toes and in, in our, the balls of our feet where, um, you know, we may see some issues when it comes to the muscular tendon system. Um, and then from a performance standpoint, we want to think about like, how do we produce the force, right? Um, in the weight room, or excuse me, obviously sprinting is going to be the fastest thing that we do um, as an athlete. You know, we can't really mimic that in the weight room, even like our high speed snatches aren't, we're not moving our joints um, as fast as we are sprinting. Um, but we want to obviously try as much as we can. So we start from like the low end, we start with our slow stuff. So like our slow force productions, our squats, um, our hinges, our pulls from the ground, you know, how, just how much force can we produce, right? That's where we kind of want to build that base when we think about um, like our general characteristics. And then from there, as we transition closer and closer to our main competitions, transitioning that slow force, right? The ability to absorb, but uh, also produce force. We want to try to start speeding that process up, right? So thinking about, we get a little bit more into plyos in, in, as we transition in. Um, we go from full ranges of motion to more sports specific ranges of motion where we can produce more force, more power. Um, because we're not going to full ranges, we can, we can increase the load on the bar, right? If the load goes up, you know, as long as we, we, the force or the speed remains, you know, as close to the same as we can, or as fast as we can, that, that force production is going to increase. Um, and then we're looking at that power curve too. So um, as we peak, we want to make sure we're hitting those, those peak power output as well, which is that relationship of force and speed. So um, we really kind of take it from the beginning. We just think about, hey, how can we absorb these forces um, and get those numbers um, absorbing and producing force in any speed as, as big as possible. And then from there, we start to transition it into more specific power and speed um, characteristics. One question I got for you, Wood, is in terms of testing in the weight room. So weight room testing, you do power clean, back squat, you do bench press we do not do bench press but power um, clean and back squat so and we typically are testing in the weight room or you're typically testing around the same time each year i would assume and you i could be wrong but the track coaches are going to have those student athletes do some sort of either you know mock meet time trials how does that match up are those during the same like week are they on separate weeks 
you know, they do it pretty close together, actually. Um, I know that they do some testing um, at the beginning of the fall. Um, you know, I think they do like a, a flying 30 and like a, you know, a, a, like a 342 yard sprint. Um, I think is what they call it. Those are their two primary ones that they use. Um, they do do one at the, roughly the same time that we kind of test our, our power clean and our back swan numbers, you know, but I wouldn't necessarily say that we're like weighing a ton of stuff on that, right? You know, we do, we compare those like off season, right around Thanksgiving time test uh, numbers to like the same time last year. Um, you know, we're loaded up at that point in the weight room where we are, you know, in a power window with our Olympic lifts, but, you know, we're in a strength window with pretty much everything else that we're doing. So we wouldn't necessarily expect them to be like shattering times or like, you know, hitting personal best, but we do correlate that to where they were last year um, in terms of uh, their performance and kind of their fitness as well. So I'll typically with volleyball and I'm going to kind of get into testing now they will do their speed and agility testing around the same time that they're doing the weight room testing, but it's typically either the typically the week before we go heavy in the weight room and max out in the weight room. But for volleyball early off season, I get initial numbers on them, which is in mid January. We have six weeks of solid training before they start their spring season and start playing a bunch of playing a bunch of volleyball with the coaches again. So we'll retest in early March. Sometimes it's even late February, but we won't test again until their preseason at the end of the summer, right as they get going with preseason camp. Dee, what's your thought with testing? When do you have uh, softball do your, their speed and agility testing? So we'll do our speed and agility testing at the beginning of the fall in August. Uh, and then at the end of the fall, usually before Thanksgiving. Um, and if that's a normal year and they come back, um, I just don't like doing like a week off from Thanksgiving and then coming back and testing after that. Um, so they get a good like 14 weeks in of work uh, before doing their second test. Um, with the testing, when they do come back in August, we're very cautious about it uh, with the groups. Like if we have a group that trained with me for the entire summer, um, they're going to push pretty hard and they'll test their test themselves on it with the girls that were gone for the summer, expecting like, let's just hope that they did it. They're very cautious. We're just saying, hey, state of per, uh, percentage, I don't know what you've done. Um, and then with the freshmen, it's, you know, hey, we're not, you know, we're not trying to get any kind of, you know, number here. It's just a baseline number of where you're at, but we're not maxing out with that. Um, but with the testing, you know, we're, we're looking at a 5105 uh, that I do, a 20 yard sprint, and then they have their conditioning test uh, as well, which is a 100-yard shuttle, um, 10 back, 10 back, five times, four sets of two uh, with individual times for that. I think going back to what you said about end of the offseason for softball, I think one thing we learned quite a few years ago is we typically, and I'm even saying like 10, 12 years ago, we would let our student athletes, they would have their Thanksgiving break, in my mind, I thought that was a great time for to have a deload week. They might train with us that Monday, maybe the Tuesday. They would go home Wednesday through Sunday. And then when we come back on that Monday after Thanksgiving and try to max out and have that be the testing week. And that, as we learned, that did not go well just because they would probably sit on their butt while they were at home, eat a bunch of food, 
a lot of heavy food come back and be sluggish and not perform well in their test. So one thing I know, you know, cause you just mentioned it, but that was something that we learned as a group, like, Hey, it's probably best to maybe get like one less week of training, but test before Thanksgiving. And we saw the results, uh, and our metrics and those KPIs go through the roof. VMAC, how about with soccer in terms of speed and agility testing? What do you do? Maybe um, you've been with our soccer programs now, men's soccer longer than women's soccer, but has anything changed? And then kind of give, it, give us a time frame on when you do some of their speed and agility testing. So I've yet to have a real full spring with them because um, last year COVID cut us short. But in the past, they've always both tested, speed tested right before season in the fall. And then they typically don't test postseason in the fall. Um, I moving forward, I plan to pre-test in the spring and post-test in the spring, and then not test their speed test in the fall. Just because, like Dee said, I don't know where a lot of them have done when they're not here, and we've had a lot of hamstring pulls when they come back. And you know, the first couple of days we're sprint testing, so it's not a position I really want to put them in moving forward. And since we don't do anything with it after in the fall, it's it's not that high of value to me. So likely they'll come in, they'll conditioning test pre-season um, before. The fall season starts, and then in the spring, we'll just do our pre and post. Guyman, do you have any thoughts for the group? Not at all? You got nothing? You got no questions, no comments? No, I think it's all very interesting. I, yeah. I think it's very important like to test before they leave for breaks and things like that. That's something that I used to get into trouble with when I was planning out my programming projects and things like that, that I didn't originally think about beforehand, but things you don't learn textbook wise in strength and conditioning. Yeah. And that, I mean, and just so everybody out there understands Emily Guyman, strength coach for us, you're in charge of our dive program and then both our men and men and women's golf program. So in terms of speed and agility workouts, programming, testing, Right now, you're not getting a lot of experience with it. So us doing what we did in February and early March as a staff gets you involved in that sort of programming, those conversations, so you can, can be ready to go when you do move on from Kentucky and maybe you're in charge of a, a soccer team where you know, speed and agility are super important. Um, but guys, appreciate you hopping on here. Another great conversation. I hope everybody out there enjoyed the talking points. If you have, and just so you all have a heads up. So in January, we did jumping and plyometrics. In February and early March, we did speed and agility. And now for the rest of the semester, March and into April and probably into May a little bit, we are working on our movement screen. So we are developing the Kentucky movement screen movement assessment for our student athletes here uh, we've had quite a bit of trial and error we've been doing things as a staff taking each other through the actual screen working on correctives coming up with standards for each one of the assessments so we have been busy so when we are able to catch our breath and sit down and gather our thoughts uh an episode in the future, we will definitely be talking about the Kentucky movement screen. But if you have any questions for us, never hesitate to contact us on our social media pages or at our email address, ukstrength at uky.edu. Thanks for listening. Go Cats.